0: God bless you and thank you so much for coming today. It's so good to be back again with you today. We realize that it's not always possible to be at a service and to fellowship with others, so we bring the service to you wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today and discover God's peace and His promises for your life. You know, this weekend in the United States, it's tax time. It's a time when most Americans are trying to figure out how to keep more of their money instead of sending it into the government for taxes. You've heard the saying, a fool and his money are soon parted. Well, apparently the rest of you will have to wait until tax time to part with your money. I'll tell you, the way things are and the cost of living and the taxes nowadays, you might as well marry for love. But anyway, God bless you and thank you so much for coming today. Let's get started. Would you open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9? That's where we're going to be today and we'll also show the verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about unlikely brothers. I love to see the way God brings people together. It seems that the world and politicians try to set one group of us against another group of us. But we really don't like all that stress and tension. We'd rather just be able to get to know each other and enjoy the uh, fellowship, the friendship, and live in peace with each other. You know, the church was designed to be a place where everyone comes together as family. God has told us that His people would be known Not for their divisions amongst other people, but for their love for each other. It's interesting to see what kind of people gather together at a fellowship to learn about God, isn't it? I mean, there's young people, there's older people, short people, tall people, people with different colors of skin and different colors of hair. I've seen brown hair, black hair, blonde hair, yes, and even no hair. I've seen pink hair, purple hair, blue hair, and spiked hair. And I know that you have too. But apart from the way that people look, the real interesting thing is what different people are like inside. Some people have different personalities, of course. Some laugh all the time. Others don't laugh at all. Some talk all the time. And some don't talk so much. They all come from different backgrounds and from different experiences. Some come from just normal settings and normal families, but others come from very bad situations. In our story today, we'll be talking about two men who have never seen each other, but oddly enough, they turn out to be brothers. They don't know each other at first, and one of them just seems like a normal guy, but the other is a very angry man who has come to hunt down other people and to throw them in prison. You could say that one of them is a hunter and the other one is the hunted one. No two people could be more different than these two men. And yet here we are in this story and we see them brought together by the power of God's love. Now let's look at our story in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. In verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters from him for the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone up there who was of that way, in other words, believers in Jesus Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem to put in prison. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone all around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' And he said, "'Who are you, Lord?' Then the Lord said, "'I am Jesus, whom you were persecuting.'" Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now I want to make you understand something here. A goad is a pointed stick used to help shepherd the sheep and to herd and to urge on animals to move. You use it, it doesn't hurt them, it doesn't go inside their skin, but it's uncomfortable. And sometimes the animal will rebel. And the animal will try to kick at that stick, at the goad. But Jesus is telling Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And if you think about it, the shepherd is only trying to get the animal to move so that he could lead him to green grass, where he'll have plenty to eat and to still water, where he'll have nice, cool, refreshing water to drink. And so Paul hears this, and he's trembling and astonished, it says in verse 6. And he said, Well, Lord, what do you want me to do? Good answer. Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with Saul stood speechless. They heard a voice, but see, no one. And then Saul got up from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. HE WAS BLIND, BUT THEY LED HIM BY THE HAND, AND THEY BROUGHT HIM INTO DAMASCUS, AND HE WAS THERE FOR THREE DAYS WITHOUT SIGHT, STILL BLIND, AND HE NEITHER ATE NOR DRANK. NOW, LET'S TALK ABOUT THIS FIRST MAN. SAUL IS HIS NAME. THAT'S HIS HEBREW NAME, AND SAUL IS A VERY SPECIAL GUY IN ISRAEL. Very special guy in Judaism. We're going to discuss that for a little bit. He's a very special guy in, amongst the religious people. They all know him. He's one of the rising stars in Judaism. It turns out that he received his training in Judaism at the feet of a man named Gamaliel. That's the way it will say it in your Bible later in the book of Acts or earlier. But now, Gamaliel in Hebrew is pronounced Gamliel. And he's actually mentioned in the Talmud and other Jewish writings. He is one of the most holy sages ever mentioned in Judaism. And Gamliel was Paul's, or Saul's, teacher. Saul in Hebrew is pronounced Sha'ul. Sha'ul is what it's pronounced as. It's basically, it means questioning, or asking. And so the last part of that with the L on the end is kind of like L El for Elohim. And so it means asked for by God. Shaul. The word for question in Hebrews is Shelah. Sha'alti Shelah. I asked a question. Sha'alti Shelah. So you can hear in both of those words, asked and questioned, you can hear some of the root for the word Sha'ul, which we pronounce in English as Saul. And Saul has been taught Judaism by this man, Gamliel. how we see his name in Hebrew. Very respected man, Gamliel. He was the grandson of the great Jewish sage, Hillel the Elder. Hillel the Elder had lived before Gamliel, and no doubt he had taught his grandson much of what he would need to know. Well, as you forward past the time of Hillel the Elder, a very respected sage in Judaism, in Judaism history, and now to the time of Gamliel, Gamliel is so respected among his peers in Judaism that he becomes the head of the Sanhedrin court the famous Sanhedrin court of the religious Jewish elders of all of Israel. Now, the interesting thing is, is there were other heads of the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin, before Gamaliel. But people thought so much of him, they gave him an additional title to what they gave the others. All the other heads of the Sanhedrin court had been called nasi which is prince. In other words, they were a prince of Israel to be ruling or over be the head of the Sanhedrin court. So they were all called Nasi. But in addition to Nasi, they're going to call Gamliel Rabban. Rabban Nasi, Gamliel. And Rabban is just another way of saying rabbi. In fact, you could say that Gamliel was the very first man in the Sanhedrin ever to be called rabbi. That's where the term was first used. That's how important, that's how knowledgeable, that's how educated and respected this man, Gamliel, was. He was a man held in very high esteem. Well, Saul who later became Paul, we'll talk about that in a while, was taught, he would say later in the New Testament, he was taught to be a Pharisee at the feet of Gamaliel. So that right there says to anyone who respects Judaism that Saul was one of the most advanced students under Gamaliel. Because all the people would be sat in front of Gamliel, all of his students would be in front of him, and the more advanced students would seat right up close to him, right by his feet. He would be elevated above them in a big chair, and they would probably sit on the floor or other places lower than him. But the least experienced students would be toward the back of the room. But the most experienced and the most promising students as a way to reward their accomplishments and their understanding and their intelligence, they would be brought to the forward part and sit right by the teacher's feet. So Gamliel was the great, great respected teacher and Saul was his most promising student who learned right at the very feet of Gamliel. But Saul, in all of his works in Judaism, and in memorizing the 613 commands, we call them in Hebrew, the Sheshmoch, Shloshes Mitzvot. That's what it means. So 613 commands that the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, say either to do or not to do. The Jewish people in Judaism try to list all of those commands, 613 of them. And then they try to read them every day. And then they're required. They think they're required by God to keep all of those commands. The problem is they can't even memorize the list. Less well remember to keep every one of them, every moment, every year, every second of their life. And if they fail at all, then Ezekiel had said, The soul that sins, it shall die. What is sin? Missing the mark. Jesus said in the end of chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, that you are therefore to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now what He was saying is not directed to you who believe on Him. He was telling people that are under the law that if you want to trust the law, then you have to keep all the law all the time. And if you don't, you've missed the mark. And that's what sin means. And the Bible said in Ezekiel, the soul that sins, it shall die. So keep this in mind when you think about these 613 commands that Saul was trying to even memorize. No way could he keep them all on his mind every moment, every second of his life. And no doubt he failed over and over again. Here's what I'm saying. Saul was probably a little bit bitter And a little bit questioning against God who would make him have to do all of this impossibly difficult commands. And he wonders, and that's why keeping the law, if you're into keeping the law and trying to do all these things all the time to make yourself somehow acceptable to God, I want you to understand something. Keeping the law was not designed to make you righteous. It was designed to show you how that you would never be able to keep it all. And that was meant to drive you to accept the mercy of God in His Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as we say in English. So Saul is probably bitter. He's probably upset. He's probably frustrated in himself that he can't keep all of these things all the time and he's got so much pressure on him because here he is the star student of the greatest teacher in Israel, Gamliel, back in Judaism. And so now he feels the pressure to always be perfect and to do all of these things in the right way all of the time and to never do any of the things that it says that you shouldn't do. And so Saul is basically a little bitter inside. And he kind of ups the game, as we would say. He tries to get even more dedicated, even more radical in keeping his faith. And he decides he's going to go after these Christians. He's going to hunt them down. He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem where they're going to be thrown into prison, thrown into a jail, probably be tortured, beat there, certainly not be able to see their families and their houses and their homes anymore and their cities where they grew up in or they were living at that time when he came to town. Saul is a man who is turned into someone who is the hunter. He's the hunter. And now let's talk about the other man in our story. Let's talk about the man Ananias. It turns out in verse 10, when we take up our story about Ananias, it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And when you're there, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul Shaul of Tarsus. FOR BEHOLD, HE'S THERE PRAYING. VERSE 12 CONTINUES, AND IN A VISION, THE LORD IS SAYING, SAUL HAS SEEN A MAN NAMED ANANIAS, Ananias COMING IN AND PUTTING HIS HAND ON HIM THAT HE MIGHT RECEIVE HIS SIGHT. NOW, I WANT TO TALK TO YOU ABOUT THE NAME ANANIAS. ANANIAS, ANYTIME YOU SEE THAT S ON THE END OF THE NAME, THERE'S A GOOD CHANCE that was the name adopted from Hebrew and put into Greek. And those had an s on the end many times. But it's common wisdom that ananias, which would be in Hebrew, hanani'ah, ha and ah are really the same way to start the same name. So he would be called Hananiah in Hebrew. Anytime you hear that ya or ah on the end of a Hebrew name. It means Yah, which is a short way of saying Yahweh, the Lord God. Yahweh the Lord. So when you say Hanan, Ni Yah, it's Hanan of Yahweh. So what does Hanan means? It turns out Hanan means grace. Grace. And so you're seeing now the man Shaul, which is called prayed for or asked for to God. It says that people have been praying for Him, that people have been asking for Him, that they've been asking God for Him. Shaul, Shal for question, are asking, and the L, as in Elohim, so asked for in God's presence. So people have been asking for Shaul, and now the other man, the other. Unlikely brother in our story is Hanani Hananiah, Ananias. And his name means the grace of God. So you have the two men, the one who people have been asking God to change his heart, and then you have Ananias coming to meet him, and Ananias means the grace of God. When you ask for God to meet you, You can expect to see the grace of God. That's what I'm saying. So we see in verse 12, as we said, in a vision, the Lord tells Ananias, that Saul has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered in verse 13, very interesting reply that Ananias answers the Lord with. He says, Lord, I've heard many things about this man. I've heard how much he's done harm to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind up all who call on your name. What basically Ananias was saying was, He wasn't disagreeing with the Lord outright. He didn't say, Lord, no way am I going to go to that guy. I've heard of how bad he is. I've heard of what he's done. And I've heard he's even come here to take us back to prison. He didn't say that. I find it interesting about Ananias that here's a man who was just going about his daily routine. Might have been sipping on his morning coffee. He hears in a vision the Lord saying to him, Ananias. And it doesn't seem like he panics or gets worried. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, what was that? Who's that? Who's saying that? He didn't say that. He's very calmly says, yes, Lord, here I am. Now, what does that tell you? That tells me that Ananias was a man who was used to talking with God. That tells me that Ananias was a man who was yielded to what the Lord wanted him to do. This was probably not the first time that the Lord had spoken to Ananias. Ananias knew the Lord's voice. And now Ananias is not refusing to go, but in the verses that we read, he says, Lord, I've heard about this man, and I've heard that he's troubled. I've heard that He's doing all of these things to hurt your people in Jerusalem and that He's even come here all this distance to Damascus with letters from the chief priest to tie us up and take us off to jail back to Jerusalem. Away from our families, our homes, our city, everything that we know. Our children, our grandchildren. And He doesn't complain. He just states this to the Lord. Well, the Lord knows what's on Ananias' mind. And so it says in verse 15 that the Lord said to him, Go, go anyway, because he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and even the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So when God first spoke to Ananias, he said, Ananias, Ananias said, Here I am, Lord. And then the Lord said, Go into the street called Straight and go. He started out with go. And now, after Ananias recalls what Saul is there for and what he's up to, the Lord says again, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine. So, twice, and it's okay, the Lord said, Go to Ananias. Verse 17 tells what kind of man. Ananias is. It says, and Ananias went his way and entered the house. Now, I want to stop right there. Think about this. Here, Ananias lives in Damascus, the oldest inhabited city in the earth, it turns out, even today. But yet, a city in which the book of Isaiah says that one day it prophesies that Damascus will never be inhabited again. It'll be destroyed. And the way things are going in our current time, if all of the enemies of Israel, Russia, Syria, Iran, all gather together in Damascus, the capital, Of Syria as they are right now in the news with the civil war going on as they are right now where Russia has an alliance with Syria Iran who is vowed to wipe Israel off the map has an alliance with Syria and Syria has had many wars with Israel when they're all together Israel will have to respond and against enemies that powerful it will have to be an overwhelming response. I'm guessing it would be a nuclear response. And since Damascus is the largest city, the capital in Syria, where they would all be based and all the command and control would come out of uh, Damascus, I'm guessing that it's very possible that Damascus would be nuked. That it basically would be turned into a field of death a parking lot, and that it would be radioactive and never be allowed to be inhabited again, as the prophecy in Isaiah had prophesied. But Ananias is now going to meet this man in Damascus. And God said, go, two times. He said, go, and now in verse 17, to his credit, Ananias doesn't ask any more questions, he doesn't say anything more. He doesn't complain. He doesn't decide not to obey the Lord. He decides to do what God told him to do. And so it went, he went his way, it says in verse 17, and he entered the house. Now, verse 17, the first part of it, makes it look like that was a small journey. But chances are this was some distance away in the city. Some distance away. And you could almost read in between the lines if you wanted to. It doesn't say this. And so we're not preaching this as doctrine. But think about the possibilities. Ananias, every step of his journey along the way and over to the street called straight and turning down the street called straight and finding the house of Judas and finding the house where Saul is inside. And every step along the way, maybe he's thinking, is this really the right thing to do? It's so dangerous, it seems like. Is this really what God wants me to do? Did I really hear from God? Now some of you, some of you, and you know what I'm saying, would hear this and you would say, well, that can't be from God because this man is dangerous. That can't be from the Lord because that wouldn't make sense to put myself in harm's way, to endanger myself and to go and appear right to the very man who's trying to hunt for me so he can take me away so I can be cast into prison and beaten, tortured. That doesn't make sense to the human mind. It doesn't make sense to our understanding, does it? But you see... Many times, in fact, all the times that I've seen in the Bible, when God did something, He really never did things in the way that man would have done those things. So the fact that God doesn't think like you should not surprise you. He says also in the book of Isaiah, He says, For my ways are not your ways, says the Lord, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. But as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And basically when he says, for as the heavens are above the earth, here we are in 2018, at the time when I'm recording this to you, and with all of our technological knowledge and space vehicles that we've sent deep into space and huge telescopes that are orbiting the earth and all the things that we've done, we can see almost all the way back to the very first things that were created in the universe and yet we still can't see the end of it all. And God is saying, as the heavens are above the earth, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. What's He saying? He's saying that my thoughts are infinitely beyond your thoughts. My ways are incomprehensible by your mind. They're so far beyond anything that you could even imagine. They're infinitely beyond your capability to imagine it. And so as Ananias is walking along, he knows these things. He's read the book of Isaiah in the scrolls. He's seen it was part of the Tanakh, what we call in English the Old Testament, same scriptures. He's seen those things. He knows that God usually doesn't ask for things that man would agree with, that man would do. But that God is not limited by situations and capabilities and resources like man is. God has all strength. He's all powerful. God is all-wise. He's all-knowing. He even knows the future. He knows how to put you in one place today to where you'll be safe from harm tomorrow. He has reasons, is what I'm saying. He has the perfect reasons for what He does. And Ananias, Ananias knows this. And so as He's walking over to that house where He knows this man who's hunting for Him is inside, He's probably asking himself the questions, is this the right thing to do? Well, apparently, he then remembers Scripture. And the Holy Spirit brings these things to mind since he's a believer and he has the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Lord is sending him to Saul to lay his hands on him and actually give him the Holy Spirit as well. And when he enters the house, it says in the other part of verse 17, And laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. Whoa, stop right there. Brother Saul. A few minutes earlier, Saul was a murderer. A hunter who was hunting down innocent people to take them tortured. And now God has convinced Ananias that Saul is one of his brothers. And so he enters the house. He's now had this long walk and he's thinking about it and he puts it in his mind and he says, lays his hands on him so that Saul can restore his sight, not worried that he's going to look up all of a sudden and see this guy who he's been hunting for. He's not worried anymore. God showed him that Saul is now his brother in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, he says in verse 17, Ananias is saying to Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you, Saul, on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says, And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose up and was baptized. Verse 19 continues as we wrap up. So when he had received food, it says, he was strengthened, talking about Saul. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Let's stop right there. Not only did Saul, not only did Ananias take a chance by going to meet Saul, he knew so much that the Lord had converted Saul and changed his heart now toward believers that he even introduced Saul, who by the way, could now see if he was still dangerous, he would even be more dangerous now. But he introduced Saul to the other disciples at Damascus. He exposed everyone to this man who had come to bind them up and carry them away from their families their homes and everything that they knew, put them in prison where they'd be tortured, beat, and never see their families again probably. And and Ananias introduces Saul now to the other disciples at Damascus. That's God thing. Two unlikely brothers coming from different situations, different backgrounds in life, different histories, different conditions, different situations, Looked like enemies at the start of our reading today. And now they're brothers, unlikely brothers. Then verse 20 and 21 wraps it up. He says, immediately Saul preached Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, in the synagogues, that He is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not the one who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus. Proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. An amazing story really. Saul was on his way to hunt down people like Ananias. Saul knew everything about Judaism. All those things, but he still had an emptiness inside. And so he tried to do even more works. Anybody else, as well as Saul, would always fail when you have all those commands to keep. No matter how hard you try, you always fall short of keeping all of the law at all the time. And so your heart becomes empty. Saul was probably feeling that bitterness toward God and thinking, God, what are you doing that you're requiring me to do all these hard things? Well, Saul, actually, he's not requiring you to do all these hard things. He's using that stick to prod you along to the still waters, to the green grass. He's using that stick to prod you along to receive his mercy so that you never have to worry about works again but just believe on the one whom God sent. On the way back to Damascus, on the way to Damascus, God changed Saul's heart. Gave him a new heart, a soft heart, a heart that felt pain, a heart that had been humbled, a heart that was no longer cruel, but one that was compassionate and merciful. He understood now. It's now filled with God's love instead of the legalistic demand to live a perfect life. At the start of our story, Saul was always trying to work his way into God's approval. But by the end of the story, Saul has seen that God was the one who does the work. He's the one who changes our heart. He's the one who makes us righteous, just like Passover. He had said, put the blood of the blemish-free lamb on the doorpost of the house, and when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over that house in judgment. I'll pass over your sins. You won't have to worry about judgment. And in the same way, Jesus Christ, the man of God, God who became man to save us from our sins, the Lamb of God, when God sees His blood applied to our hearts by us believing in Him as the Messiah and Lord, then God says, I will pass over you in judgment. You won't have to worry about those sins. I'm going to forget to remember them anymore. I'm going to take those sins of yours. I'm going to put them as far away from me as east is from west. I love that. I love that. He had said in John 3:16. of course, you know the verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would never perish but have everlasting life. God makes the heart new. He makes the whole person new. He erases all the fears and failings and sins of the past and He replaces them with peace, forgiveness, and yes, righteousness. Approval before God. We're finally made righteous and acceptable to God not because of our own failed attempts and shortcomings and keeping a bunch of rules but because of God's mercy and His Spirit working in us. We're taken into His family and we're loved and considered to be His precious children. The one who believes on Jesus the Messiah has passed from death into life. That's what God wants to do with you today. Just like with these unlikely brothers, God wants to extend His mercy to you. Now, it's up to you. If you don't know the Lord, now's your opportunity to know the Lord. We always like to give every person an opportunity to give their life to the Lord. Jesus had been asked one time by a person. He says, Lord, what must I do to do the works of God? And Jesus, in the the verse, said, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom God has sent. In other words, that you believe on Jesus Christ. That is the work of God. The simplest act the greatest gift, everlasting life. Just saying, yes, I believe in Jesus as Lord. Yes, I want to have everlasting life in heaven. I do want to know that I'm going to heaven at the end of my life on earth. I believe, Lord. Just trust Him with your life. He loves you, He cares for you, and He wants you to trust Him with every new day. You're His child. Give it to Him today and watch what He will do. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved today and given everlasting life in heaven right now by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord, and I give my life to You. Please forgive all my sins. Thank You, Lord, for Your love. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you, and He's already started working in your life. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes He's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him in His Word. Talk to God every day. He's going to do amazing things in your life. Welcome to your new life.